0: There we go. We got it. I in. I. Watch. No. Shade. I have done what is righteous and just. Not leave you, my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well-being. Let not the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail, looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love. Teach me your decree. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act on Law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold. Because I consider your precepts right. I hate every wrong path. <clears> hmm.
1: <throat> yeah, you were reading Ayin. We were that's on, what I said, A-Yin. We were on Zayin 49. 49. But that's okay. <laughs> 49. We'll, we'll just do 49 next week. <laughs> I was number? wondering. I'm looking what at it, and I said the NIV is a lot something. different oh, than the New King. Qu- that, that that's, that's okay. Different. Don't worry about it at all. Well, we got well, one. We, we, thing well, and just
0: well I can't. I, I didn't want to like get in your face. But what number what did you read? I, 21.
1: twenty-one. Yeah, twenty-one. Not forty-nine. 21. That's okay. Oh, okay. All right. Here we go. We got a couple prayer requests. The first one is a pastor up in Joliet, Indiana. He's 82 years old, and he's got some heart issues. Right. So, we want to add bypass him in surgery. bypass surgery coming up. We want to have him in prayer. And then we got Marcy is asking for boldness in witnessing to a brother and sister that she hasn't seen in a couple of years. And so we'll make sure we remember her in prayer. And Julie is asked for prayers for her sister Denise, who is struggling with drug addiction. She's also asking for prayers for her children and grandchildren to come to the Lord and submit to Him. And Jill is looking for the Lord to lead her and give her wisdom and direction especially for her aunt jean whose faith is ha- ha- health is failing and uh she's just wondering what she could do to be of assistance because she doesn't think she can handle the whole load then then nance is feeling really terrible she's either got a cold or a flu and doug has really bad heartburn over in ireland he's just miserable and uh, uh, it's he says it's really doing a number on him so we want to have all of them in prayer and I guess we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer oh Sergio and Rhoda thank you I meant to add them in they are they're at Miami Airport right now and they're gonna be flying this evening and we want to pray for safe travels for them as well so here we go Heavenly Father we do thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to ask you for these requests and any others that are unstated that uh, need to be Uh, brought to your attention from people's hearts and from people's weariness and trials and troubles and financial difficulties and so many other things that burden us and steal our joy they rob us of our ability to give you the full praise that you are due. but Lord we even fail to do that when we're happy and we often get misdirected in a happy condition as well so Lord we would pray that you would just be a constant reminder to us of your glory around us and to seek your face whether in sickness or in health but for now, we do pray for each one of these individuals and any others. And Lord, we also pray for this time together in your word and that you would bless it and that uh, it would be handled properly and uh, it would be something that would be glorifying to you. And Lord, we certainly pray this, that you will be glorified and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I've got the, uh, this in Christian history to read to you. And I I might as well say this while I'm looking for it is if you haven't gotten an email from me in a while I apologize I just I'm a little bit backed up because of the visitors we've had for the past 3 or 4 weeks and uh and uh so I just haven't had a lot of time to answer emails but I tried to keep up as much as possible I haven't been to one on Facebook in 3 weeks now though so that's that's low priority but yes. I try to get into the Gmail as often as I can. Okay, September 26 is today. (sighs) The more he drank, the rowdier he became. (laughs) Life on the farm in 1887 was tough in Fentress County, Tennessee, where a boy named, anybody know who was born and raised in Fentress County, Tennessee? I bet you've seen the movie. Alvin York was born Sergeant
0: York. yes
1: his father William needed to farm hunt and blacksmith to support a family that eventually included 11 children Alvin worked with his father on the farm he especially enjoyed hunting with him and he became a crack shot at an early age but in 1911 Alvin's father died from a kick by a mule leaving Alvin as chief provider for the family since his two older brothers had already moved away Floundering under the responsibility of caring for his family Alvin began drinking the local moonshine The more he drank the rowdier he became often ending his evenings in bloody fights After every binge he would stumble home to his mother's two-room cabin where night after night she faithfully prayed for him one night about midnight when Alvin lurched home from a night of drinking and fighting his mother plaintively asked him when are you going to be a man like your father and grandfather She had nagged him for years about his drunkenness, but had never before compared him to his father and grandfather. Neither of them had drunk, and both were uh, legendary for their fairness and honesty. His mother's words made Alvin suddenly realize that his life was hopeless and that all he deserved was God's wrath. Of that moment, he later said, God just took hold of my life. My little mother had been praying for me for so long, and I guess Lord finally decided to answer her. He fell to his knees and shed tears of repentance in his mother's lap. As his tears turned to joy, he said, Mother, I promise you tonight that I will never drink again as long as I live. I will never smoke or chew again. I will never gamble again. I will never cuss or fight again. I will live the life God wants me to live. It was the wee hours of New Year's Day, 1915, the dawn of a new day for Alvin York. At the next revival at a nearby church, Alvin York walked down the aisle and, to his neighbor's amazement, publicly dedicated his life to God. He soon became an elder and a song leader in his church. Things were going well for Alvin until 1917. The United States declared war on Germany. Joining the army was the last thing that York wanted to do because his church opposed war as a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not kill. Little misreading of the Mm -hmm. Bible, but that's okay. Then he received a notice requiring him to register with his draft board, the head of which was his pastor. He was in a quandary, as was his pastor. He applied to be a conscientious objector, but was turned down. He had no choice but to go to war. On September 26th, 1918, the battle for the Argonne Forest began. The great achievement of the battle, in fact, the greatest single military achievement of the war. Good movie if you haven't seen it was performed i hate this (laughs) by a corporal from tennessee named alvin york york personally killed more than 20 germans and took 132 prisoners all by himself he forced a german major to order all his soldiers to surrender all took place within three hours and 15 minutes that night after recounting the day's events in his diary he wrote so you can see here in this case of mine where God helped me out I had been living for God and worked in the and working in the church some time before I came to the army so I am witness to the fact that God did help me out of that hard battle for the bushes were shot up all around me and I never got a scratch for his heroism corporal York York soon became Sergeant York. Received the Congressional Medal of Honor. General Pershing called him the greatest civilian soldier of the war. Proverbs 21:31: The horses are per- prepared for battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Great stuff there. One of my favorite stories, when I went around the uh, country in 2010, I made a point of going to his home. Wow. Really beautiful place. It's Pell Mell, Tennessee. They say Pall Mall, that's how it's spelled, oh, yeah. but it's beautiful place. The state of Tennessee gave it to him. Really wonderful story. If you haven't watched it, I recommend you do. They did a good job in the movie. And what is
0: the name of the
1: movie? Um, it's Sergeant-, Sergeant York. It's Sergeant York. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah, a president a dies, the horse that leads the uh, Beer of the president is named Sergeant York. Hmm. We're in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. You want to go to verse 31. 31. Why don't I
0: start up at
1: 26. Start wherever you start want.
0: What uh, then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most, three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Then 31, before we begin. For you can all prophecy in turn that everyone may be instructed and encouraged
1: okay very similar here we'll just let it go with that 14:31. continuing on with the gift of prophecy paul says that you can all prophesy one by one this doesn't mean that all in the congregation have the ability rather it means that all who have the ability to prophesy also have the ability to do so in an orderly fashion one by one the reason for this will be more fully explained in the next verse however The purpose of prophesying in this orderly fashion is explained in his next words, which are that all may learn and be encouraged. If everyone prophesied at once, there would be no edification and there would be no encouragement. Instead, there would be confusion. But this is to be the purpose of everything done in the church, is to have no confusion in an orderly church running. Therefore, it would make no sense for people to utter prophecies at the same time. Again, Paul is calling the church to orderly worship and to the use of gifts in a harmonious and edifying manner. Like the misuse of supposed tongues, which were spoken in many churches, the disorderly conduct of congregations, where many people supposedly prophesy at the same time, claiming that it is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is false. All one needs to do is determine this by weighing what occurs in these meetings with the words of Paul. As the Bible is of divine origin, then what they are doing cannot be life application. It is far better to learn from a biblically sound teacher than to attend a church with which has great music, nice people, and an uplifting message, but which message is not biblically sound. Sit in a church and have no music, and have you know. No air conditioning, you, you know, whatever. It can be just a little hole in the wall out in the country. But if the preacher is doing a good job and the church down the road is a big mega church with great music and coffee and popcorn and everything else, go to the little church with the good message if they're not preaching the gospel and, uh, you know, expanding on the word of God every time they meet. Yep. All right. Go ahead. 1432.
0: The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets.
1: Okay, that that one is added in, and the subject of the prophets are subject to the prophets, the control they've added in there. But with the NIV, you wouldn't know that because they don't italicize. They so don't know what's in. But that is correct. What he said, I mean, the way they translate it is fine. It's just not a part of the original. Okay, to understand this verse properly, it should be considered with the instructions Paul has just given. Taken together, they read, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by let the first keep silent for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets those who ever were to part should not start speaking at the same time as others who are speaking but Paul has shown that they must remain silent as others are speaking he then explained why by saying that in speaking one at a time. All may learn and all may be encouraged however someone may claim that the power of the Holy Spirit has taken them over like a rushing tide and they simply couldn't control themselves because you'll hear people talk like that in this ecstatic state they lost they claimed they lost control yielding to the greater power which was present this sounds pretty great yes look at me I'm filled with the Spirit even to overflowing why I simply couldn't control myself Paul says that this is not the case, and it will never be the case because the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. The Holy Spirit will not usurp the spirit of the man. Instead, he will work harmoniously with the man to accomplish his purposes. As Paul's words are guided by the Holy Spirit, they are true and they precede any such display found in churches today. Therefore, any hint in a church which violates Paul's prescriptions cannot be of the Holy Spirit now consider this more fully if this is true with prophecy a greater gift then it must be true with tongues a lesser gift as this is so then ecstatic tongues and other violent reactions to Holy Spirit power such as being slain in the spirit are shown to be false the Holy Spirit will not violate a precept of the Word of God ever if someone is slain in the spirit it is because they have willingly allowed themselves to be duped by a charlatan not the Holy Spirit it may be a form of hypnosis or it may be a self-induced delusion but such an event is not of God twice one person uh, I was talking to just recently but another person who is in this room right now won't mention him but he went to a church that did this he wanted to know if it was real he went in and the pastor walked around and slayed everybody in the spirit except for him and he was the only one that was being objective the rest of them were just allowing themselves to be controlled by the pastor I heard this from another person just recently won't give his name either but uh, uh, that's to the that confirmed that to me is that if these people have been Christians their whole life they know the Lord they probably do more in service of the Lord than the whole church together that uh, whichever church they went to then it tells you that uh, these people are just making stuff up as they go there's no point in going to a church like that once you found out that it's not true just let it go anyway um, so uh, Paul is clear concerning the spirit of the man it is subject to the man life application do not be duped by those who make you feel you have less of the Holy Spirit than they do the Holy Spirit is given upon belief upon belief and it is done a believer will never get more of the spirit than at that moment but the spirit can get more of the believer just as a person can never get more married once they are married Instead, a person can continually get more of their spouse through love, respect, bonding, and so on, as the spouse yields to him or her. 13, 1433.
0: For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. That's it? As in the congregations of the saints.
1: Okay, good. A little bit different here. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. But once again, the words the author are italicized there. Um, as in all the churches of the saints. So, okay, too often this verse is taken out of its intended context to mean something other than what Paul is implying. It has been used, for example, to deny the doctrine of the Trinity because the Trinity is confusing. It's very confusing. If you've ever studied, uh, one of my friends said to me one time, uh, the guy, I'll just say, he's the guy that uh, runs the website for us. He said, Anytime you talk about the Trinity you're eventually going to run into heresy You're going to talk too much and you're going to devolve into heresy because we can't understand it completely You get to a certain point and beyond that you start speculating and you're going to speculate wrong. It is confusing That is not what this is speaking of Because it is claimed because the Trinity is confusing It is claimed that it cannot be of God because God wouldn't promote confusion in the minds of his people from what stems from his very being first Just because something is difficult for us to grasp does not mean that it isn't of God. Secondly, the concept of the Trinity is clearly laid out in the pages of Scripture. And thirdly, this verse has nothing to do with such a matter. Paul has been speaking about order in the church. When tongues are spoken, there is often disorder because there are either false tongues or because they are real tongues which are not translated. Likewise prophecies are to be given one at a time so that they can be assimilated by the other members of the church It is these and other related principles which Paul is referring to in other words He is writing about order and propriety in the conduct of the church Why is this needed? Because God is as Paul says not the author of confusion, but of peace the term confusion is literally translated as unsettlement It indicates that which is mixed up rather than that which is harmonious. The Holy Spirit will never, never fill someone with a tongue that isn't a real language. He won't do that because that's not—it's not forming any purpose. It's not giving any edification or anything like that. Okay, He will never give a tongue which is not understandable to the congregation unless it will also be translated, and He will never give a prophecy which overwhelms the recipient to the point where He cuts others off as he spouts out his words these and other such displays are merely attempts to draw attention to oneself they are confused and they are not of God as James says concerning such things in James 3 verse 16 3 verse 16 for where envy and self-seeking exist confusion and every evil thing are there That's exactly what Paul is writing about, and James is just more direct in his approach on that one, okay? As he always is. Such things are not of God. If you attend a church where people speak out of order, where people speak false tongues, which have no meaning, or where people draw attention to themselves through supposed ecstatic displays of the Holy Spirit, leave that church. Their activities are not of God we know this because Paul finishes with the notion that this is the case in all the churches of the Saints no church will be conducted in such a disorderly manner if it is guided by the Spirit of God once again I did not write these words I'm evaluating them I'm certain that in these cases I am evaluating them properly one person may speak a prophecy and then another one may speak a prophecy that's not difficult that's nothing difficult for us to understand and when god says when paul says that uh through inspiration of the spirit that god is not the author of confusion he's not speaking about the trinity he's not speaking about something that we apply that verse to he's speaking about order and conduct in the church okay so i didn't write these words but it's amazing how often people will try to get you to change your theology because they don't like what you're saying. I can't do that. All I can do is take it at face value. Now, there is a lady that emailed me, and she said that, uh, uh, and I could actually agree with this. She said that, uh, I think it was Russian. Somebody went, uh, went to evangelize somebody in Russian, and he never spoke Russian, but he started speaking Russian and evangelized somebody, and that person received the gospel, and then he couldn't speak it anymore. Okay? That's possible. The guy may have been lying to her. I have no idea. But that would be something that the Holy Spirit may do. He's going to use a real language in order to further the gospel. Okay? I'm not a proponent of that type of thing. In other words, I'm not one to say that he's going to do that all the time because he's given us the word and he has given us missionaries. He's given us people that go and learn languages in order to... uh, you know uh, uh translate the bible into a known language so somebody may have said that happened to me and it may not actually have happened but she said that is an instance and i could agree with that if the holy spirit wanted to fill that guy with russian so that he could speak that's fine it's a known language it was a one-time thing the guy understood and it, it's done absolutely fine but you will never have a language that somebody does not understand spoken in a church unless there's a translator and you will never have a language which is not a language spoken in a church and it be of the Holy Spirit okay there you go but I am a proponent of sending people out into the mission field with knowledge with experience and with proper funding so that they can learn a language translate that language and share the gospel in that language I'm a proponent of people going out as Wycliffe has since years and years and years ago and translated Bibles into native languages okay and from there those people learn the Word of God and they share the Word of God and they become their own disciples later and disciple their communities and the missionaries can then move on that's what I know actually happens everything else I can only say that sounds interesting okay if that really happened praise the Lord that it happened if it didn't the person that lied about it will have to stand before the Lord and you know face that type of judgment there you go but I am a proponent in this church of the people that we bring in and the people that we fund are people that are competently trained, Christ-centered people that are going to go out and actually do the job of getting this word out. I know that is effective. Anything else, I can only say, that's interesting. I can't support it one way or another, okay? Um, Okay, like the guy that uh, wrote the uh, thing about uh, Trump, and all he did was complain about Trump and say he did this and he did this, and at the very bottom of the letter, he said,
0: I didn't
1: witness witness any of it. Well, that's hearsay. Okay, so I can't speak for other people. All I can do is say what I know personally. Okay, and I know that this word is teaching very clearly certain doctrines. Okay, we'll go on to
0: 1434. Right, but before we do, I just want to say it was very convenient of you to say that you did not write these words because number 34 starts with Oh, good. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says okay
1: there you go once again I didn't write this and I didn't write one <laughs> Timothy 2 11 and 12 these, these are not my words these are the words of the Lord and you know when you post something like this on Facebook oh, I saw goodness. somebody post a uh, 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 it's a meme but it was a type thing up on his wall just a couple days ago with one of these verses the women barbecued him <laughs> they literally barbecued him all he did was cite the Word of God right. that's all he did so there you go okay Paul, I think it was actually a lady that cited it, and then a guy got into it, and they barbecued him. But all she was doing is supporting the Word of God. I may be wrong on that. It, there was just a lot going on, and I just made a comment and left. And I think it was somebody tagged me in it, and so I went there. I, I don't remember, but I haven't had a lot of time in the past couple of weeks, and so I haven't really been on Facebook at all. But I remember that happening, and just like, poor guy. Paul's words here are as clear and as positively stated as any other prescriptions found in the New Testament they bear the weight and authority of the Lord who inspired the words and they are universal in scope there's nothing stated here to indicate that what he says is cultural limited in geographical considerations or temporary as many claim in order to ignore what is stated and we know it's not any of those because they are prescriptive letters that are found in the Bible for this dispensation so none of those things apply rather they are universal in all ways and binding on the church in all ages further the intent and and substance of his words are repeated in 1 timothy 2 11 and 12 oh there it is this shows that it is a matter of paramount importance to reject these words will inevitably lead to greater problems within the church and within society as has been plainly evident in recent generations I will say this I don't care who doesn't like it the devolving of churches always starts with this precept always I mean I'm talking about ignoring the Word of God and this is ignoring the Word of God when we say we're gonna start having women ordained as deacons that church is doomed that's it that's the beginning of the end of that church or denomination always that's the case if you take something out of the Word of God and say we're not going to live by this precept the church is done Okay, very few churches will ever recoup from that type of attitude. Very few. Well,
0: I've been reading the commentary in my NIV. Yes. and it's just like very it's a liberal. Funny where it's just like Oh, he didn't really mean that.
1: Yeah, no, he didn't mean it or that's cultural or yeah, absolutely. It, here, Go ahead. This one here, nice, and the one. nice and loud. Nice
0: and loud. A few have speculated that Paul is just quoting one of several Corinthian slogans, which which, which he disagreed.
1: Yeah, we, he disagreed, it, so he put it in here. Yeah, okay. Exactly. No, that's not the case at all. I, these are prescriptions. They are in a prescriptive epistle in church age doctrine. That's all there is to it. And I, I just, I'm sorry that people disagree with these things, but we have to hold to the Word of God okay so this is a bible study women ask questions we got women that don't have husbands they can't follow through with this this is a less formal involved thing but when you're in a church you don't have the women up there teaching and speaking and if you have a question ask your husband at home as and it says this here is not done
0: maliciously.
1: it's not There's done no li- i'm going to tell you something what you just said it's not done maliciously pay attention on sunday pay attention on sunday and you will see why this isn't done maliciously i actually cite this chapter in that sermon and you are going to be astonished at this chapter you're going to be astonished i'm going to tell you it is literally marvelous the more i've read it over the week the more i'm amazed i typed it i practiced it what six times now already and the more i do the more amazed i am at it it is it's the kind of sermon that you'll listen to once and you'll say oh i'm a little confused or something you may you might get it but if you watch it seven times It will be new to you in a new way every time. I'll tell you that right now. And that is exactly what I'm going to say, what you just said. So, all right, here we go. Um, One, uh, I'll go back. This shows the matters of paramount importance to reject these words will inevitably lead to greater problems within the church and within society as has been plainly evident in recent generations. And as I said, I will cite in this thing here why modern feminists hate the verses that we're going to read. 1 through 16 of Numbers chapter 30, and then I'm going to show why they are so completely misunderstanding of this verse. You're not going to believe it when I get done with it, if you grasp what I'm going to say to you. It is a marvelous, marvelous passage. Paul has been speaking on the issue of tongues and prophesying. This is exactly what he is referring to here. Nothing has changed in the direction of his dialogue, and he will continue to speak on both prophesying and tongues until the end of the chapter. His words for the universal church is to let your women keep silent in the churches that means no prophesying no tongues okay this is clear and it cannot be taken in any other way than what it says but Paul understanding the wickedness of the human heart knew that there would be people who would take his words and twist them if he didn't re-explain them and so he does just that repeating the prescription by saying for they are not permitted to speak he says it once and then he says it a second time in a different way so that you don't make any errors on this understanding this the exact same logic was previously applied to tongues can be applied in this verse one the words of the Bible are inspired by the Spirit of God Two, the Spirit of God will never violate a precept which is found in the Bible which he has inspired therefore three any practice What we're talking about right now, women speaking in the churches, or occurrence which is seen in a church and which violates the prescriptions of the Bible, cannot be inspired of God. They cannot be. With this in mind, we can use it as a tool concerning the matter at hand. One, the Bible says that a woman is not permitted to speak in a church. Two, the Spirit of God will never violate a precept which is found in the Bible which he has inspired. Therefore, three... Any church gathering where a woman either speaks particularly in tongues or prophesying violates the prescriptions of the Bible and what is said cannot be inspired by nor condoned by the Spirit. In reading this one must ask, do I know more than God? The answer is obvious. He has spoken and we are to obey. In today's modern church many women claim the titles of pastor, reverend, bishop, prophetess, or whatever. These titles are false and these women directly disobey the word of God. They are to be rejected. As a way of repeating his thought, Paul continues with, "But they are to be submissive as the law also says." In Genesis 3:16, the woman was placed in a subordinate position to the man. We're going to see that this week if you're here or if the Lord hasn't come to rapture us out of here. That would be preferable, but if not, I'm very happy about giving this sermon. I said that to Burke before we got started. I was, I was meditating on it while I was cleaning back there, and he walks in. I won't tell you what condition I'm in when I'm cleaning, but it's not uh, one. We have to keep the door locked. I'll say that much. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I go all out when I clean this church back there. I want it to be spotless, and so anyway, we'll leave it at that. And uh, I I said to him, I I just am so excited about this coming sermon because it's so wonderful. It's so beautiful. And he didn't know which sermon it was, but now he does. He's over here and he's looking at it. It's it's marvelous passage. And like I say, the more that I read it, every day I read it, I keep getting more ideas and making little pen and ink changes in there. And it's just so beautiful. And people so misunderstand this. And they misunderstand 1 Timothy 2. And they misunderstand that because they're looking at it from modern day perspective. They're looking at it from... Oh, it's a a misogynistic society and blah, 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 blah. Marvelous, marvelous words. Can I bring up a a point
0: that they make, which I'm sure has a valid reason, but they're saying that, in fact, Paul did permit women to prophecy. I know they're going back to the book of Acts. No, no, right here at 11, uh, uh, preceding chapters. Okay. uh, Five, it says... um, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Right. Right. And that—that's all about coverage.
1: That's, that's that he's, he's, he's that's right. it. He's just saying. Like, he's just saying that he's making a point of that. He's that's absolutely right. Because if what he said there doesn't match here, then there's a contradiction in the Bible. But they've taken one precept and they've. Now misapplied it in another way in order to get away from what the Bible so clear on and they'll also go back to uh, the seven daughters of Sceva and I think it's Acts chapter 7 or somewhere around there anyway what is the problem with that They
0: were Christians.
1: Philip thank you Philip well no they were uh, the uh, thank you it was Philip seven daughters of Philip it is descriptive it was at the beginning of the church age it prescribes nothing the epistles had not been written all right they were doing what they were doing. There was nothing to say they could or couldn't, but Paul now has given us prescriptive epistles for the operation of the church. Okay, so Genesis 3:16, the woman was placed in a subordinate position to the man. Throughout the law, this precept continues to be seen in various ways. For example, in here, I typed this, how long ago? Years ago. Numbers 30 goes into some detail on the matter. What Paul has said is not an arbitrary decision made by a male chauvinist. But rather it is the proper order of things which has been ordained by God in three different ways he has shown that women are not to be in any type of authority position in the church they are not to speak but to remain silent in the next verse he will continue with this explanation clarifying exactly what is expected in this matter life application fame or exceptional teaching skills are not reasons to disobey God's word Allowing women such as, I'll give you a couple names, Beth Moore, Joyce Myers, Paula White, uh, a host of other supposed pastors and teachers to preach from a pulpit shows a direct disobedience to the Lord. Let us put aside star-struck eyes and return to obedience to Scripture. That's all it does is it disobeys the Lord and it brings a stain on the name of Christ. That's all it does. As I said, Tom and I... What? No, Tom and I were talking about... uh, Uh, One of them she's up in uh, Tampa Paula white, right? She's got this big ministry She's already violated the Bible in 10,000 different ways, but We were talking and yeah, a lot of ladies have probably come to Christ through her They've also gone bankrupt because of her but that's a side issue anyway um, So here she is and suppose people come to Christ because of her suppose that's true Does that negate? That she's being disobedient to the Lord. Can she go to the Lord and expect a reward for any of that? No, The end never justifies the means and he will never say, you violated my word, but you did great things with it and therefore I will give you rewards. God will never do that. He would be the unjust judge if he did that. When his word says don't do something and you do it and good comes out of it, it doesn't mean that it was the right thing to do, ever.
0: The other point is that if it's not pointed out and discouraged, then anybody looking it's like well yeah well she's a great preacher and it says her and this says something different so obviously this is yet one of the other many that's right problems Problems with the bible
1: it it always calls into question the word of god always i I
0: will tell you Beth Moore, charlie when i first became a christian i thought i took a lot of her studies and i thought they were excellent that's fine down the road when i saw that she was standing up in front of a church i was
1: Full of men, absolutely appalling. It's absolutely disobedient it, to the word of God. Does, do
0: you think it, in the beginning she starts copying biblically sound? Maybe I
1: doubt it. I I doubt it. If she sta- yeah, if I she I doubt so it. True. I don't know anything about her. I've never she watched her. Never yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything done. about the woman other than I know that she stands at a pulpit in front of I men and teaches. That that's me. and that's all I need to know. I don't need You're to listen to her. I don't need to know any She's of her of doctrine. Doesn't absolutely fourteen thirty five.
0: If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is a disgrace; it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church.
1: In the church. Once again, this is a Bible class. We're learning the Bible. We're not doing anything prophesying or anything. Probably, if you were to take it to its extreme, you would say that Linda shouldn't have asked that question. She should ask Jim at home. Okay, what's he going to do? He's going to send me an email and he's going to say, Charlie, how do I answer this? it's a Bible study and we have an open forum here and I have no problem I would have a problem if a woman was in here teaching or making decisions after I've said something well I disagree with that well then you can leave okay I would have a problem with that but okay like the previous verse this is a command far too many scholars and teachers say that this is merely a cultural or geographically isolated command that's what I've seen in many commentaries where does such manipulation of scripture come from Paul says nothing of this. Rather, his words are clear, contained within an epistle to the Gentile church, which is prescriptive for the entire church age, and it contains nothing that can justify it being temporary or not all-inclusive. Again, who is the ultimate author of Scripture? It is the Holy Spirit working through the hand of a human author. In the case of 1 Corinthians, he is working through Paul. There is no need to point angry fingers at those who hold to the sanctity of these words. Rather, there should be willing obedience to them. Paul, having brought up the issue of women not being permitted to speak in the church, now gives further clarification of that. Not only are they to not prophesy or speak in tongues, which is what this chapter has been discussing, they have even further limitations placed on them. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. As the men are conducting the affairs of the church, it would be disorderly for the wives to be having side conversations with their husbands. Anyone who has spoken in public will surely note that having people talk while they are speaking is a distraction to their attention. Cell phones, ringing, babies crying, and so on, all cause the mind to get sidetracked. The smallest little thing can do it. I can say this because she's not here. I don't want anybody to ever repeat it to her, but Hedico has a habit of getting a piece of candy and she thinks she's going to be quiet by opening it really slowly. Instead of just going and getting it open, oh, that is one of the most difficult things to get over that sound. And I finally I, I finally told her, I said, please don't do that. If you're going to open, just open it. Be done with it. Okay? It's like, I, I don't know. I can't think of another thing that's as comparably annoying as that hands on but it would be like doing it again and again and again and again I well <laughs> I finally had to tell her because it just it, In church, you're talking about no yes you know she'll sit I've there never seen yeah that. and she'll she'll she's got like a mouth she's got a sore throat or something and it's <laughs> Well, you don't hear it because you're not the one that's speaking. This is at
0: home. Yeah, it originated at home. because She sits right in front of me. And like, you know, I don't hear it. Well, that's,
1: no, what I'm saying is Your that I'm the one, God. I'm the one that's preaching. I'm the one that knows what's going on. You guys aren't listening to those things. If somebody starts talking with their husband or wife, I hear it. Everybody else doesn't hear that, but I hear it. Okay. These are the things. When you were, you know, when you're sitting up there, it's yeah, completely yeah. different than when you're, when you're sitting in the uh, yeah completely different you
0: notice what I do? I just tell him, shut up. yeah
1: well that's right I you know proof positive of this is when Ray Willett was here and the first time he got up here he said I never knew how annoying it was to have a child make noise and it was his own kids yeah he said I had no idea but they're back there with their children and they're screaming and everything and the pastor was probably going crazy at whatever church they were at I said, come on up and speak to the church. And all of a sudden he was, you notice how they don't bring their kids anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's because you, you learn how difficult when you're put up there, everything, you see everything. I hate to say it. If somebody's picking their nose, you're going to see it. <laughs> I, I'm just saying it, you know, there everything is distractive, everything. Okay. So, but you just have to get over those things. There's a point where you just have to get over them and you have to block them out. And I will say this, that having preached on the beach,
0: Oh, yeah, that, How did that,
1: work? that that was the best training in the world for a little oh, church it was exactly the, the best tra- everything everything was distracting you guys remember that those of yes. you that attended it was yes. very very distracting and so you Wind, just had to learn
0: rain
1: crows lightning
0: say, what are you doing here? You boat yet.
1: races it yeah. went on and on and on okay we got to get back to this anyway when you're in the church try to remember that somebody's speaking that that's the lesson here okay yeah. I'll go through the list again. Now, cell phones ringing, babies crying, all these get the mind sidetracked. Paul has already shown that those who speak in tongues and those who prophesy should do so in order. This is so that others will be edified. If someone is having a side conversation, it will be just as difficult for others to concentrate as if two were prophesying at the same time. You can't listen to two people. at this, Try it, you know, two people are talking and you're uh, like, we'll just pick on somebody that's not here, Jay and Joan. Suppose they both come up to me. And one of them starts talking then the other who do I focus on you can't do it okay the Lord will never do that with prophesying instead of a woman asking their husbands about a matter during the church he says that they should ask their husbands at home this will keep the church from being disorderly and it will allow the speakers to do so without breaking their concentration but Paul goes further in his explanation he not only says that they should ask their husbands at home but he explains why He says because it is shameful for women to speak in church understanding the roles of men and women in the bible which reveals a patriarchal society is the appropriate one it is unruly disorderly and improper for women to speak in the congregation where men are present that's just the way it is paul has said it we have to live by it okay it is actually a shame upon themselves and thus it then reflects shame on their head meaning the husband we went through that in the previous exactly what you were referring to there Jim Paul explained this in details in 1 Corinthians 11:2 2 through 16 his concern is for order and propriety in the church leading to edification if his words are ignored there will always be a breakdown in that respect always nobody would expect students in a university to be chatting during an important lecture on some great scientific principle and yet the Bible is far more important than that far more important Time spent in the church each week is for instruction, and it is limited. Therefore, anything which detracts from those precious moments is to be restricted. This is Paul's intent and aim in his words. Life application, the command in 1 Corinthians 14:35 is given for order and propriety. To violate it is to show a disregard for what God deems important. Let us always seek his will through his word, being obedient to it out of love and respect for him, go ahead.
0: This is where Paul puts the little bow.
1: A little I bow on it. it. Yep. Did the word of God originate with you,
0: or are you the only people it has reached?
1: There you go. I you could apply that in any church where you have females preaching and and speaking in tongues and etc. etc. Verse fourteen thirty six. Paul's two questions form a scathing rebuke of the practices of those in Corinth. And when he says you're the only church, he's obviously not only speaking to the Corinthians then, is he speaking to all of the churches that he's been to? And therefore, it is not an isolated thing in one church as people try to make it. The entire chapter has obviously been one of repeated instruction, and the emotion has only increased in him as the ink flowed from his pen. He may have been thinking, I've told them all of this already, but they didn't pay heed. He first asks, or did the word of God come originally from you? It is a note of indignation he is asking if they think they are the source of what should be considered church doctrine are they somehow the church which should establish doctrine for all others Paul is letting them know that it is he who brought them the word of Christ and established the church among them his words of instruction demonstrate that they had fallen away from that instead they were to be in they were involved in illicit practices The very fact that he is writing instructions to them shows this to be true. They have misused the gift of tongues. They have been disorderly in the preaching of the word, talking over one another, and they have allowed women to engage in these activities rather than having them remain silent as he had previously instructed them. In essence, he is showing that they have held in contempt the word of God and attempted to establish their own parameters for church conduct. If that doesn't sound like many churches in the world today, it's hard to see what else could. The word is ignored. Women are ordained and speak openly on matters of doctrine when they are not authorized to by Scripture. And congregations spout out false tongues and false prophecies at will. Paul was fed up then, and we should be fed up now. And so he continues, or was it you only that it reached? It is a second line of indignation. Suppose you don't feel you are the source of the word of God. Well then, the only other explanation is that you feel you are the only recipients of it, the only valid church. They were acting as if they alone held authority to interpret scripture and thus their interpretation was however they saw fit. But the word had gone out to many churches. The message was consistent and it was clear. Other churches had properly followed the practice as they received them. But somehow this dysfunctional church at Corinth had gone out on its own teaching aberrant guidelines that were not in sync with the rest of the churches. Paul's lengthy letter demonstrates this. But it must be understood that if this church wasn't so dysfunctional, guess what? There would have been no letter to the Corinthians and then there would have been no written set doctrine for later churches to follow. So even that shows the wisdom of God. God, in his wisdom, allowed the church at Corinth to depart from Paul's sound instruction in order to give all of us a sure word in writing, which is understandable and which is clear. With it, combined with all other Pauline epistles, we have right doctrine to lead the church, and yet we ignore it and we continue with the same dysfunctional problems that Corinth faced. How can one not see the absolute importance of the word of God when reading this letter to Corinth? How precious a treasure and yet how ignored it is. Let us, have misguided, let us leave misguided passion, emotion, and self-seeking ostentation at the door and enter into the church with the desire to honor the Lord by following his word. Life application, find a church which doesn't follow the nutty practices Paul argues against in his letter to the Corinthians. Second argument, like I said, this is kind of an open forum in the Bible study, but also the prophecy update. We have ladies call out something. I have no problem with it. We're not teaching doctrine there. We're not, you know, having a sermon where people need to be quiet. There's no unorderliness or disorder. As a matter of fact, it makes it more enjoyable for the people that are watching. Prophecy updates are different than having the sermon on Sunday morning where we are actually taking the word of God and we are having it explained in a competent way, which is not in an open forum in any way, shape or form. So, you know, I I just have no problem with people speaking. But one thing that people don't understand until I actually stop them and go back and talk to them is if they have something to say in a prophecy update, never say more than eight words because the people online can't hear what they're saying. And I have to repeat whatever it is. And so I after about eight words I start losing what they're saying and I can't repeat it and then it's just no good so I have to end up editing the video taking all that out it gets complicated you know somebody starts well I think you, and they go on and on and on and, please stop stop you're <laughs> causing me more editing I please don't do that so at the end of that proxy update if somebody does that a new person I always say you got to keep it to eight words Eight. This, this is that many no more okay don't not ten Because my brain can't handle more than eight words. But it does make it fun, doesn't it? It You listen to them. we're also
0: pretty quiet during the uh, the, uh, sermons. And the only time anyone of any gender says anything is when you reveal something that it's just like, oh my God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But then again, you do ask.
1: I, I do, I ask, you know, and that makes it proper because I'm asking for people's opinion. I'm asking, okay, does anybody know what this particular verse is or something? Or I,
0: the Maserati. The
1: Maserati, <laughs> that's right. The Maserati, okay, somebody will win it one week or another, and uh, oh, it's always fun. I'm so glad they Lynn sent that to us. My goodness, it was just, I mean, I'm saying, I don't remember what even started that, but here we got one in the mail, and okay anyway here we go um let's see here um, life application yes we've done it 1437
0: if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted let him acknowledge that what i am writing to you is the Lord's command
1: okay there you go it's very very clear there okay what a logical way to determine if certain conduct within the church is truly of the spirit or not the bible proclaims that it is the word of god it is also showing us how that word came about Prophets and men of God, under divine inspiration, received the words of the Lord. They are inerrant, they are infallible, and they are intended to guide the church. And so in order to determine if Paul's words are truly inspired, we can follow a logical process. First, we can go to our thoughts about Jesus, okay? Do we believe that the story about Jesus is true? Anybody? Anybody disagree with it? No. Okay, everybody here has agreed that we believe that the word about Jesus is true. If so, do we believe that he has the authority that the Bible proclaims? Okay, everybody says yes. If so, does that authority include the appointing of his apostles? Yes. Okay. If we have said yes so far to each of these questions, then we can go to, the, go to find the apostle Peter's recorded appointment. All right? Peter's selection, along with the other apostles, is found in Matthew 10, Mark 3, and Luke 6. His apostolic status is also noted in the Gospel of John and in Acts. If Peter is not accepted as an apostle, if he is not accepted as an apostle, then there would be no point to accept any of the New Testament. It is as certain as it could be that he is, in fact, an apostle. Everybody got that? Okay. Understanding this, we can go then to his second epistle for a note concerning Paul. I'm going to take you to 2 Peter chapter 3 very quickly. Bert could probably cite this out loud, but we're going to read it. 2 Peter 3, verse 14. Now we've all agreed Jesus is who he says he is. Well, where do we find out about Jesus? It's the only place we're going to find about him is the Bible. That is it. Okay? And then we agree that Jesus has the authority that the Bible proclaims. And then we have agreed that he has the authority also to appoint his apostles. And we agreed that Peter is inspired in what he says, because when he writes something, it's with the authority of Christ. Here's what he says. 2 Peter three fourteen. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul According to the wisdom given to him has written you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, same things, Jew and Gentile, same message, so much for hyper dispensationalism. These things (laughs) in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So he's equating paul's writings with scripture meaning the old testament he's equating it right there okay peter clearly identifies paul as authoritative and he places paul's epistles on the same level as the rest of the scriptures in other words it is an explicit reference to the inspiration of paul's letters now combining that with the selection of paul as an apostle by jesus own mouth we can demonstrate that he has both the authority And the inspiration to back up his words to the Corinthians in response to a question by Ananias Jesus proclaims Paul's Commission and apostolic authority that is found in Acts chapter 9 okay so we're gonna go there very quickly and it says in Acts chapter 9 verse 15 wait I'll go back a little bit we'll go to 13 (laughs) then Ananias answered speaking about Paul Lord I have heard from many about this man Paul Paul's Authority and his inspiration without denying the rest of the New Testament they are inextricably intertwined therefore Paul has the right to state if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord understanding this we have been given a valuable tool to refute the speaking of false tongues to direct the order of prophesying within the church and to confirm that women are not to speak in the congregation which includes having any authority over a man as is stated in 1 Timothy 2 11 and 12 which is tied into his thoughts of 1 Corinthians 14 on this issue when identifying any of these false practices the one so charged must deny the authority of Scripture and thus the authority of Christ Or they must admit that their conduct is not in accord with Scripture and Christ's authority. They are being disobedient to both. Now, I'll stop right there before we go on. Somebody will inevitably uh, bring up the the verse in a sermon or in something, and they'll say, um, uh, we're all one in Christ Jesus. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, uh, slave nor free, right? All are one in Christ Jesus. That might be a little bit of a misquote. And they completely throw the entire thought out of the wind, out into the wind, except for two words, male and female. That's all that they focus on. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul says there allows women to be preachers and pastors because we're all one. And that has absolutely nothing to do with what he is speaking about. Absolutely nothing. He is saying positionally in Christ, we have the same salvation, the same access to salvation. It has nothing to do with anything else. How do we know that? Because we still have males and females in a church we still have jews and gentiles in the church okay we still have um slaves and bond okay In, in today's modern world we don't really have slaves there are slaves in some parts of the world but we could equate a slave in some capacity not all capacities but in some capacities back in the roman empire with a person who is working at a job today i mean you you were a bond servant you worked without pay but you also got you know life Uh, You know uh, place to sleep and you got food and all that But that would be the closest thing that we could compare to it today is a a day laborer or a person that has a job You know blue-collar worker. It's a different system I'm just trying to make a kind of an analysis so you can see that because they didn't really have the system we have today but They they take that when they want to defend their doctrine of replacement theology They will throw out Jew and Gentile But when they want to defend their idea of women and men being on the same level and being allowed to preach, they will throw out male and female.
0: Cherry picking. picking, That's right. It also shows that it is not done maliciously. That's right. Because the role in the church and your position with God are two different things.
1: Two different, entirely different things. Your position with God and your role in the church are two different things. and we're gonna see that again right here we're gonna see why we're gonna understand this passage as of as of uh, Sunday like I say unless the Lord comes first I'm all excited about that so well yeah we'll just hope on that one anyway um, uh, life application Paul's letters are prescriptive they are of divine inspiration and they bear the authority of the Lord himself to dismiss Paul's commandments is to directly ignore the Lord's authority do you want to be found in such a position of disobedience if not, adhere to Paul's words, which are set doctrine for the church age. Just do it and be done with it. 38.
0: If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored.
1: Okay, this one is a little different. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. That's, that's, yeah, yes. Yeah, oh, there you go. There are two variant readings from the Greek texts compared side by side. We just heard him. If anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. That's the NIB. Either way, it is a continued rebuke on those who reject the word of God, either ignorantly or purposefully. If ignorantly, the blame rests still upon the individual for speaking without first knowing. In this case, Paul is saying that if they should purpose to speak without knowledge, let them remain in their ignorance. As Ellicott says in this situation Charles Ellicott great scholar of years past a person who could not recognize such an evident and simple truth must be of a perverse mind his opposition would give the Apostles no further concern on the other hand if the person is acting against the word purposefully they have replaced their personal conduct above the explicit word of God such a person should be completely ignored Only the word of God should guide the conduct of the saints. Therefore, someone claims that speaking in incoherent tongues is acceptable, ignore him. If someone starts speaking, prophesying while another person is speaking, then ignore him. And if a woman inappropriately speaks words of instruction in the congregation, ignore her. That's right. This is the context of the passage, and it is the intent of Paul's words now unfortunately they are often ignored in modern times i'll cite john lang from the 1800s on this exact issue on sunday there's been a falling away from adherence to the word of god and an acceptance of that which is inappropriate let us turn our hearts and minds back to god's word and away from those who manipulate it either willingly or in ignorance life application the only way to know if a person is misguiding you and their words about scripture is to know Scripture yourself hence read and study your Bible every day every night when you're writing I love having a Bible in the car I love it I get Bible all day long I'm talking about the audio Bible I get it that's all I get I'm not thinking about anything I'm not angry you know I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh coming over here and I, I admit I love listening to guy because he's very insightful but I'd also be very angry because he's so insightful about what's going on in the world, I don't want to be angry. I've got enough of that in my life. Okay, I got eight dogs. Anyway, so I listen to the Bible and I'm not angry, except at sin. When I I'm listening about the kings of Israel right now, and I'm literally angry. I'm fuming at them, but it's it's a righteous anger. It's not anger at you know it's something that's going to be temporary and passing away. I'm so angry. How can they not see his father? was a great man of God, and he falls away, and the next thing you know, he's worshiping idols. He's yeah. killing babies in the streets of Jerusalem. And I just, it, it, I, I, but that's a, the right kind of anger. We want to be morally grounded. Right. And the only way we're going to be morally grounded is by reading the Bible and seeing the depravity of man and saying, I don't want to be a part of that. Because if not, eventually you're just going to be a part of it. We, I was thinking of that today. I was cleaning the parking lot at 7-Eleven. I've been listening to the Bible. I was listening to the kings of Israel and how the the son will fall away after a great father. I pulled up to Seven Eleven to water the fifteen plants or so in the little planter out front, and then I started picking up the trash to take over to the garbage bin. And I thought suddenly of, remember Graham Graham and Glennis? Okay, they live down the road here. I was thinking about her because, you know, I went and I, they used to have a shop in a mall here in Siesta Key. And this is quite a few years ago. And I, I went to her to tell her about Jesus. And she says, "Oh, I know about Jesus. And I said, well, what have you done with him? And she says, well, it's just never really interested me. And I said, what do you mean? She said, my mother was a woman of great faith. And I thought it went from one generation, a woman of great faith, loving the Lord to somebody not even caring. It doesn't interest her. And I think, no wonder kings can fall away so quickly. We got somebody that sees their own mother and they know she has faith. They see how grounded she is. And it doesn't mean anything to them. We're just, I'll tell you what, faith is not congenital and therefore salvation is not congenital. You will not be saved by your mother being a woman of great faith. And that's what I tried to convey to her. You know, I don't know if she's come to the Lord since then or not, I haven't seen him in years, but. It broke my heart and that's what I was thinking of when I was cleaning in the parking lot this morning because I'm trying to think of a modern example in my own life and came to mind referral
0: All right. letters. the what referral letters.
1: referral letters do not hold any weight in heaven I'm sorry it was a great guy he took care of me does not hold any weight in heaven zero Charlie, my father is an atheist. her father is an atheist and she's a Christian so there you go you know there's no true atheist do you want to know how you can know You you, can know very quickly. Well, here's how you know that there's no true atheist. You just say, um, uh, ask him a question about God. Is God, I'm talking about the God that everybody believes in, the one God, okay? You ask an atheist, is God omniscient? That means all-knowing, right? Everybody, you ask him that question. Is God all-knowing? Well, the God that you believe in, yes. He created time, space, and matter, and therefore he knows everything, Because he's outside of time, space, and matter. He's not limited to it, so he has nothing hindering him from knowing everything. He's in an eternal state. He has eternity to know everything, and plus he created everything. So, is God omniscient? they'll They'll agree, yes, I would agree with that. Say, okay, you're denying that God is omniscient. And then you say, okay, well, you don't believe in God, but maybe he's hiding behind Venus. How do you know? And they say, well, I don't. Well, then you cannot know, and therefore you cannot logically be an atheist. You can be an agnostic, which means I don't know. The word agnostic means ah, no, and gnosis, which means knowledge. I have no knowledge. But atheist means ah, theos, no God. I'm making an adamant statement about God. Now, you've just admitted. God is omniscient. He knows everything, and you don't know if he is hiding behind Venus or not. Okay. Therefore, you can't be an atheist because you're making an adamant adamant statement about something that you cannot prove. So you're not actually an atheist. You might be an agnostic, but you're not an atheist. But if they say, absolutely, I know that there is no God, then what does that mean? They They are God because they know everything. And all you need to do is ask them one simple question that they don't know. One simple question, something you know that they don't know. Like, you know, do you know about the boy that I dated in high school that I never told you about? No, then you're not God. So either they are denying something and they're making a claim that they cannot support or they're denying themselves because they're God and they're saying there's no God, but I'm God because I know everything. Either way, you cannot have true atheism. And so you just bring that to your dad someday. Just propose it to him. And then after that, you can do the exact same thing with there's two types of Gnosticism or uh, agnosticism. There's hard agnosticism, which means I cannot know that there is no God. Or soft agnosticism, which says, I just don't know if there's no God. Okay, if they say, I cannot know if there's no God, you use exactly the same logic. Do you know everything? No. Well, then how do you know? And you use the same, same principle. All you need to ask them is two questions. And from there, they will now admit that they are not hard agnostics. They're definitely not atheists, but they're also not hard agnostics because they can't know if they can't know. All right. So that brings them to soft agnosticism. I don't know if there's a God or not. It's not that I can't know. It's just I don't know if there's a God or not. And then you say, well, guess what? I'd like to introduce you to him. It's that simple. And from that point, you have something to argue about or, or to discuss. And When I say argue, I mean argue in a debate. A, a, a debate matter. But as long as they claim that they are atheists or hard agnostics, they are the ones that are deceiving themselves. And all you need to do is get them out of that mind trap. Once they're out of that, you can now have a conversation with them two sentences that's all you need to remember and from there they have to admit one or the other either I am God and I'm denying myself and thus I'm crazy or I'm denying God when I don't have the sufficient faculty to do so and therefore I'm crazy either way they they will have to admit that then you take them in and say let me introduce you to Jesus and from that point you have at least a springboard so and before you do I would recommend the most important part of the whole that's right pray pray okay here we go Um,
0: uh fourteen thirty nine. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way.
1: Okay. I wonder why I skipped verse forty. I've got a verse forty in here and I don't have I it either. He just
0: just read read, right
1: well that's okay because I, I don't worry about it because I only have comments for fourteen thirty nine. So the very last one yeah, I must not have saved it, and so I will have to go back and find Salvation. it somewhere. Yeah, I, I will so we'll just talk over 14, 14:40. Uh, but for 14:39, that means
0: you're not God. You don't know. That's right. I don't know everything. I'm definitely
1: not God. Anybody thinks that is crazy. All right, 14:39 here in the, and I say the final verse of the chapter. So obviously, I must have been taking quaaludes or something for a headache or something. I don't, whatever. I don't mean quaaludes. Something legal. Anyway, I must have been taking cold make medicine. Uh, they don't okay anyway I must have been taking cold medicine or something because here I, I cite this as the final verse of chapter 14 anyway we'll just go with it Paul inverts the order of the major areas of discussion of the chapter in his comments he first discussed tongues and then he moved to prophesying after having demonstrated the superiority of prophecy he places it here first therefore is his conclusion on the matter in essence based on this detailed evaluation and the commands which I have issued do the following brethren is his way of showing that he recognizes that they are in the faith and that his words ahead are exhortations for them to conduct themselves in that manner desire earnestly to prophesy or is his next words as this is to be considered a more valuable gift than tongues it should be the hope and aim of the brethren to speak words of instruction and edification. By doing so, not only will they be built up, but so will those who hear the words. And do not forbid to speak with tongues. That's Paul's words there. He has given strict guidelines concerning tongues if those guidelines are adhered to. Then the tongues may serve a valid purpose. If not, there will be no edification and they are not to be spoken life application chapter 14 and i'm sorry i've I've got two verses that i don't have here i've got 39 and 40 combined as one i apologize but anyway i typed this years and years ago life application chapter 14 has many important points for us to consider and to remember it contains commands which are to be adhered to and exhortations meant for orderly church conduct Logically, we have seen that if someone violates these through supposed tongues, prophesying, or violating the precepts concerning women preaching or teaching, their conduct is not of God. One cannot truthfully claim they are led by the Spirit while actively being disobedient to the Word of God. Let us apply truth and honesty to our actions in the congregation by being obedient to His Word. Everything we do in the church should be for the glory of God and for the edification of others okay um, yes
0: explains 40 very, very good. It's almost a parallel. what does
1: 33 yes, 33 okay for that. God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the Saints let all things be done decently and in order okay so it explains it. what I will do though if I remember if somebody sends me an email tonight I'd appreciate it I'm not talking about 50 people online just <laughs> Um, maybe Jim or Burke or somebody send me an email and remind me to do a, a proper evaluation of 39 and 40 and make sure it's posted because I may have done it and just somehow combined them. And I don't know, like I said, I might've been taking too much uh, cold medicine or whatever. I said Quaaludes and I don't even yeah. know what a Quaalude is. So whatever. Anyway, 15 one, we're in chapter 15 now.
0: Yes. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you which you receive on which you have taken your stand
1: okay Paul now enters into a new chapter with a new direction this chapter concerns above all else the doctrine of the resurrection man is this a wonderful chapter I'm telling you chapter 15 I probably cite this as much as any other chapter when I'm you know doing sermons or Bible studies and referring back to something this chapter is just such a beautiful chapter of the Bible this chapter concerns, above all else, the doctrine of the resurrection. It is divided into six noticeable parts as follows one, the good news of Christ, which is realized in his resurrection. That's verses 1 through 11. Two, our hope in the resurrection of Christ. That's verses 12 through 19. Three, dead in Adam, alive in Christ. Verses 20 through 28. Four, remaining awake to righteousness. That's verses 29 through 34 five a contrast between our present earthly body and our coming heavenly body verses 35 through 49 I can't wait for the second one oh, oh! and then sixth victory in Christ it's verses 50 through 58 this chapter along with 1 Corinthians 13 stands out as one of Paul's most notable passages In it is the hope of the believer and the surety of our faith it gives us hints of the coming rapture And it shows our unique and unbreakable tie to Christ our Lord. Should we find ourselves in a mental slump, we can come to the words of chapter 15 and renew our souls in the hope we possess. And so he begins with, more over. The Greek conjunction can mean something like, in addition to, or now I am about to say, or something similar. In this case, it is a transition away from the doctrine of tongues and prophesying and into that of the resurrection. This is directed to the brethren. In other words, what he will say does not apply to all people. It only applies to those who are in Christ. Next he notes, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. In the coming verses, he will sum up the good news of Christ, the gospel of salvation for all who believe. The word he uses is norizo. It means to make known. But Vincent's Word Studies notes that he is stating this reproachfully, having to make known all over again this news. It is as if they had forgotten the very basic information which they had believed at the beginning. This gospel is the good news which also you received and in which you stand, as Paul says. He's making an effort to repeat the very basics which brought them to salvation and which continues to save them. But it is right and proper that Paul needed to repeat this to them in writing because his letter to the Corinthians contains the same words which are now included in the Bible. Their failing memories prompted Paul's hand to write the words of Scripture which continued to instruct the faithful 2,000 years later. Life application, let us pay heed to the words of 1 Corinthians 15 and stand fast in the good news which Paul presents to us here. Let us apply them to our minds and fix them in our hearts in order to carry us through even the darkest moments of our continued walk in Christ. Um, I said that this is one of the chapters, if you're really bummed out, you come here and you just read the whole chapter. I don't know, you read that chapter seven of Romans is kind of like that. It's just, it'll wake you up and you say, oh, I feel so much better. One Corinthians uh, 15 will do it. And another one, which people, when they email me and they say, I'm just, I'm so burned out. Do you have a verse for me today? I'll say yes. I want you to read this. So I'm going to, it came to mind. I'm going to take you there. And I tell people you should read this Psalm and it'll probably make you feel better. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When I come and appear, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Now, when somebody's unhappy, I tell them to read this. Listen to what he says. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that keep a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance And my God, if you're ever feeling down, I don't know how somebody could read that and not, look at my hair standing up. I just, I don't know how somebody could read that and not want to just jump up for joy. There are times where you say, oh God, the enemies, it's like poor Trump. He probably sits there and he says, these people are just all over me. But if he knows the Lord, that's totally up to him. I have no idea. He's made a profession, but it doesn't mean it's true. I can only suppose, but just go read the 42nd Psalm. It'll take care of all of your troubles and woes for a while until you get down again. And then just go read it again or go read Romans chapter seven or go read one Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to stop there because we're going to get into the gospel next week. And we'll stop a couple minutes early. Um, we It was kind of a lead into it, but I don't want to go too far because uh, it's it's one unified gospel message. And I will not be able to do the next three verses in the next six minutes. So we'll go ahead and stop with uh, 15 verse two and we'll start that next week. And I hope I remember to redo that typing of uh, uh, chapter 14, 39, and 40 because I can't believe I did that. I mean, I don't know what I was doing. I wake up in the morning and I, I just go on to the next uh, the next verse and the next chapter. Yes, Bert?
0: Acts. Every major, well, I won't say major, every sermon in Acts, I believe, Mentions the resurrection.
1: Yep, I believe that.
0: Yes. Yep. it goes through. If you look at it,
1: Peter, Paul, all of them. He raised they, him up. He
0: raised him up. Yes, you know, Peter said
1: that. Actually, yeah. Well, the one that I love is uh two uh x uh two. I think it's 41, 42, 48. One of those where he says it was impossible that death could hold him. Right. Impossible. Two twenty four. Two twenty. 220, uh, two twenty four. Thank 224. you. Uh, well, anyway, you pull it out. Uh, he says it's impossible for death to hold him. And why is that? The wages of sin is death. He had no sin. And so we haven't put our hope in a dubious, you know, maybe it's going to happen. It is 100% sure. Christ did not sin. 224. Thank you. It, it, it is a marvelous thing to think about that Christ didn't die for his sin, and therefore death could not hold him. It was impossible. And so he came out of the grave, and when he did, He came out of the grave without our sin because he died for our sin. Therefore, our sin is gone. It is completely gone. If you think on that and what Peter says in there, the resurrection, wonderful. Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Thank you for it. And thank you for the hope that we have, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And thank you for the surety of the words that we have, that they're not contradictory They're not, maybe they are 100% confirming one another. If we believe in Jesus, we have to accept your word or we're being dishonest in ourselves. So help us to be honest. Help us to accept your word as it's written and not to waffle because somebody doesn't like what we have to say. They will stand before you as well and they will give their own account before you on that day. And so will we. So help us just to be firm and fixed in our theology. Lord, we love you. You are so good to us. We certainly pray for all the people we mentioned at the beginning of this uh, particular uh, class today. And you know every one of them. Graham comes to mind. I read something on Facebook just a few minutes before we started that uh, I don't know how he is today. But yesterday he was apparently really struggling. So we'll add him into the prayer list as well. Lord, be with these people and help them through their times of affliction. And we'll be sure to give you praise and thanks at the end of it, no matter what happens, because you're worthy of it either way. We love you and we do praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.